Good morning. Our task this morning is to introduce you to the Fellowship Sunday School community and to our study for this year, which is 1 Corinthians. Bill Watkins is our lead elder, and Bill is going to come and tell us a little bit about the community itself, and then I'm going to introduce us to the book of 1 Corinthians. Bill? Good morning, everybody. Everybody good today? Good deal. Well, it's my privilege to invite you to our Fellowship Sunday School community. We've got a great teacher with Kirby. We're really blessed every Sunday with his teaching there. Uh, also, uh, teaching the class jointly with him will be Brendan um, this year, and I will come in as a pinch hitter when situations are desperate or the game is out of hand, so uh, occasionally there. Um, Our class, just to give you a little bit of info, down in the fellowship hall is where we meet as for elders. We have uh, Rick is in the class. Uh, Brendan, unless he screws something up, will be an elder here very shortly, and we're thankful for that to see him ordained, and of course, me and Kirby. We usually have about four fellowship opportunities, um, you know, meals and such uh, at folks' houses uh, each year, and we're going to try to have something in October uh, at my house, as long as Evelyn will keep me around uh, through the next month or so. So we're looking at that. Our class always does a project. We take up an offering and we try uh, to do good things with what is supplied. Last year, we uh, bought English and Spanish Bibles uh, for our friends at Emmanuel Upstate here, a a Spanish language church uh, uh, in the neighborhood. So we were able to bless them that way. And we also Uh, contributed to uh, Come Over and Help, which was helping Ukrainian refugees in various churches in Hungary and other places. So we did that as our project. And this year, uh, Kirby's going to introduce you to 1 Corinthians. Uh, That will be the book that we'll be studying. He's going to give you an overview there. So just, again, give you another couple reasons why you should come to our class you know, one, you know, Jim Leathers, I want you to look at me. He, he's a big Jason Coral guy. You're going to go to a class with a guy that ran away from home with a T-shirt and teddy bear instead of coming to our class. Me? Yes. And what he didn't tell you, that was just a few weeks ago Jason did that. And his wife had to get him home. Of course, Kevin Mobley, a good teacher, but, you know, they meet in the gym. You could get lost in that class. You know, we've got a smaller you know, much more, you know, friendly confines there. And, you know, I was going to say something about the chapel class, but Dennis is just such a swell guy, I couldn't think of anything to discourage anyone from going to see Dennis Zimmerman. Uh, He's a brother, and we love him. So anyway, guys, we do. If you're looking for class, it's multi-generational. We have young people, old people, and folks from all walks of life. So y'all come, and we look forward to seeing you. Kirby? Thank you, Bill. Let me add my invitation to Bill's. If you're looking for a Sunday school community or you are intrigued by the study of 1 Corinthians, we invite you to join us 
in the fellowship hall, aptly named after our class, of course, and uh, on Sundays, and we'll begin next week with an exposition of First Corinthians. Now, my intent today is to look at an overview of First Corinthians, not to delve deeply into the text, although we will touch on it, but to give you an overview and to help you see uh, what's ahead in the study of the book and, and whet your appetite as to whether or not you might like to join us. Let's begin by turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we want to read the introduction that Paul gives us. It's his greetings and his thanksgiving, standard fare for letters of that day. But in this case, it contains some very important information for us that gives us a clue and some insight into the rest of the book. So let's read together. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father in heaven, I pray that you would meet here with us this morning. Help us to see the wonders of this great book of 1 Corinthians. Be our guide and give us wisdom as we do so. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I think one of the appropriate places to begin in any study of any book of the Bible is to get a sense of where it stands in the overall uh, chronological screen, uh, stream of things. And so here's a, a nice little timeline that places Corinth and the letter that Paul has written to them within the life of Paul. And so we see that Paul was converted most likely in somewhere around 33 or 34 A.D. He plants the church mid-century, somewhere between 48 and 51. And then you will remember that Paul moved on to Ephesus, where he had a, a rather long ministry. And he's actually writing this book probably from Ephesus to the Corinthians. And the writing of the book is done in 53 through 55 somewhere in that time frame. This is a marvelous book. I think that we will find it instructive to see how Paul deals with the Corinthians' major problems, but it's not just the problems that we look at. It's that wonderful theology of Paul 
that grows out of the problems. And so we'll find it encouraging and edifying uh, to see that soul-stirring theology set forth and apply to the problems of the Corinthians. And speaking of soul-stirring theology, our class just finished a study of Hebrews uh, this past May. That was the subject of our study all last year. And you talk about soul-stirring theology, that has it. Now, if I, as I have been preparing to teach 1 Corinthians, I'm about to come to the conclusion that the theology there is just as important, it is just as relevant to the church today, it is just as much a blessing to our souls, it is just as edifying to us. In other words, it's just as soul-stirring as the theology of Hebrews. And so I look forward to being able to teach it along with Brendan and Bill and see what the Lord has for us there. Now, on the other hand, not only is this encouraging and edifying, but I think we'll also find it sobering, and I think we'll find it convicting, especially when we discover that Corinth, uh, we're told, and we'll talk more about this in a moment, but Corinth is very much like a mirror that is held up before us, and we see ourselves reflected in that Corinthian mirror because the problems of Corinth are very much what we see in our culture today. And the problems of the Corinthian church are very much the problems that we see in the evangelical church of today is that culture is moving over into the church. And more than that, that culture is actually being invited into the church, isn't it? So Corinthians is is very relevant to our study and to our life today. Here's how Gordon Fee put it. The cosmopolitan character of the city and church, the strident individualism that emerges in so many of their behavioral aberrations, the arrogance that attends their understanding of being people of the Spirit, the accommodation of the gospel to the surrounding culture in all too many ways, these and some other features of the Corinthian church are but mirrors held up before the church of today. And Paul's theology grows out of addressing those problems, what Gordon Fee here calls those behavioral aberrations. When we begin our class in two weeks, in September 4th, hard to believe it's going to be September in two weeks, but in two weeks on September 4th, we begin our class, and that will be an exposition of the text of 1 Corinthians throughout this coming year. The verse-by-verse study of 1 Corinthians. But today, I want to give us an overview of why 1 Corinthians is so important for us to study today and why it is just as relevant as it was in the first century, and hopefully give you a reason to come to our Sunday school community. I'm going to do that in two ways. We're going to look at two things. First of all, the unique setting of Corinth. This unique setting of Corinth geographically, economically, and culturally leads to the problems of the Corinthians, and leads to Paul's addressing of those problems. And then we want to look at the focus 
of Paul's letter. And this is all in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. Three divisions there. Paul greets and gives thanksgiving, but it contains information about the rest of the book. He makes an appeal to the Corinthians' divisions. That also points ahead to the rest of the book. And then he gives a special treatment here of the ideas of speech, knowledge, wisdom, and folly, philosophical ideas that were extremely important to the Corinthians that lead to their problems. And, and, and it's wonderful to see how Paul begins the handling of those problems. So let's look, first of all, at the unique setting of Corinth geographically. Now, here's a map of first century, that first century part of the world. And you'll notice that Greece is in the lower left-hand quadrant of that map. Greece is in two parts. Uh, the northern part, which is attached to the continent of Europe, and then the southern part, which is actually a peninsula. And if you look closely, you can see that that uh, peninsula is connected to the mainland by a very narrow strip of water that is right in between the Corinthian Gulf to the west and the Saronic Gulf to the east. If you wanted to travel north-south across from, say, Sparta up to Athens or vice versa, you had to go across that isthmus. The isthmus is only four or five miles wide at its narrowest point. Not only that, but if you're traveling east-west by sea, then you don't want to sail around that southern end of Greece, the the Peloponnesus. It's too dangerous. The currents and the wind, especially in the winter, are deadly. Plus, it takes a lot longer than just simply to sail down the gulf to the east, unload your cargo, carry it four or five miles across the isthmus, put it on another ship, and sail off again. And that's much quicker and it's much less dangerous. Now, here's a fact that I learned that I did not know about, and it is an astonishing fact, and I promise I'm not making it up. If your ship was not too very large, you could actually put the ship on a wheeled vehicle and roll it across the isthmus. They really did that back then. And uh, and just take the whole ship across four or five miles, put it back in the water, and sail on. Now, think for a minute about what situation that creates for Corinth. Corinth, you'll notice, is located at the southern end of that isthmus. So all of the trade that takes place between the Peloponnesus and the rest of of the empire, northern part of the empire, is going to cross that isthmus. All of the sea traffic is going to come and cross through that isthmus. And who is it that's sitting right there at the southern end of that isthmus? Well, it's Corinth. It's sitting right there. So no matter where you went, by land or by sea, you wound up going through Corinth. Now, that created a situation a very cosmopolitan situation 
a mix of people from all over the Roman Empire, uh, different languages, different nationalities, different ethnicities, different philosophies, all came together in Corinth. And that produces the culture, as we'll see in just a moment, but it also brings to play all of these different people who business people see not as people but as customers. And so there's money to be made in Corinth in the first century. And that increases the wealth of Corinth and the people who live there dramatically. So that brings us to our next point. Corinth is unique economically. Not only was there trade involved, there was also a lively tourist trade. Corinth was home to the Isthmian Games, which were second only to the, to the Olympics in popularity and importance. And so people came from all over the empire to attend those games. Uh, again, bringing all the different nations, the different ethnicities, the different religions, the different philosophies all together in that one place. People coming from all over the world of that day, coming to a place where nobody knew them, they took full advantage of being in a place where nobody knew them. And so as a result of that, Corinth had a very unsavory reputation. So you have travelers, sailors, traders, tourists, business people taking advantage of that influx, If you think about it, the effective population of Corinth must have been several times greater than its natural population, those who actually lived there. And and that that was business opportunity. Entrepreneurs came, and entrepreneurs have an attitude, a can-do attitude, that we can overcome anything and we can accomplish anything. So that added to the spirit of Corinth. Corinth then collected tolls, fees, rentals, uh, revenue from from, uh, shop owners, from innkeepers. If they had had cash registers, they would have been ringing constantly in Corinth. The wealth of Corinth swelled. Here's the way Anthony Thistleton puts it. A deeply competitive, self-sufficient, an entrepreneurial culture marked by ambitions to succeed. Today we might call that consumerism. Does that sound familiar? That sounds a whole lot like what we see in our culture, doesn't it? And that culture encroaches upon the church unless we employ the solution that Paul gives us here that we're going to see in just a moment. The third way in which Corinth is unique is culturally. And this cultural uniqueness grows out of the first two unique situations. It would be proper, I think, for us to refer to Corinth as being Corinth the second, uh, Corinth two, Roman numeral two, because Corinth was actually totally destroyed. It was sacked and destroyed in 146 B.C., It was not rebuilt until about 100 years later by Julius Caesar. Now Caesar built the city 
in order to have a place for the soldiers of his Roman legion to live. Those soldiers brought their own slaves. There were many freed slaves throughout the, uh, the Ro- Greece and the, and the Roman Empire who found it convenient to also move into, into Corinth. And so after it was rebuilt, it became a thoroughly Roman city. But eventually, the Greeks began moving back into it to take advantage of the business opportunities. And so mixing with the Roman way of doing things is also the Greek way of doing things. Someone wrote that Corinth became the least Greek of all Greek cities, but at the same time, it was the least Roman of all Roman colonies. And you can see this this mixing uh, that takes place there, the cosmopolitanism that, that emerges out of Corinth. It was an energetic business culture with quick success or quick failure, a part of the everyday mindset. Competition, patronage, consumerism, multiform layers of levels of success were part of the very air breathed by the citizens of Corinth. And listen to this. A humiliated, crucified Christ was an affront to people who loved winners. Does it sound familiar? It should because we see many of those same attitudes present in our culture today and with that cultural influence upon the church of today. So geographically, economically, culturally, Corinth was unique. And it's necessary, I think, for us to understand those three unique things in order to understand why, why is Corinth different than the other churches that Paul founded? Well, because they had this, uh, this, this attitude, this attitude of winning. It was an attitude of triumphalism. We're better. And they brought that idea into the church. And then Paul now has to address that. Here's what Leon Morris says in describing Corinth. It was important, intellectually alert, materially prosperous, but morally corrupt. Well, we want to look at the letter itself and see what kind of insights we can gain from looking at the first chapter. And we're not going to study it in detail. We're just going to uh, dip in at various places because the first chapter is like a window which through which we can look and see the content of the rest of the book. And so let's look at what kind of insights we can gain into how Paul approaches this problem of the, of the Corinthians, these behavioral aberrations, but look also at how he applies this wonderful theology to it. First of all, we see here in Paul's greetings and thanksgiving, the nine verses that we read earlier. In his greeting, which is pretty standard greeting for letters of that day, he identifies himself as being an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is an apostle sent by God. And so he introduces here the divine nature of his ministry. He is sent by God. He makes that explicit 
because he says, I was called by the will of God. He's a called individual. So God is at work here. And, and Paul makes that evident right from the very beginning, that this is a divine undertaking. It's not his own idea. He's called to be an apostle by the will of God. He's not the only called person in this introduction. You'll notice also that the, um, that the Corinthians are also said to be called. That is, the Corinthians that have been saved and have come into the church at Corinth, they are called saints. Again, it's the act of God. Uh, we're beginning to see the sovereignty of God unfold here right from the beginning of Paul's letter. The apostle and the saints at Corinth are called by God. Now, they had a very high opinion of themselves because of these unique things that we've seen. And, and they thought much of themselves. Paul begins to introduce the idea that you're not special because he connects them to the rest of the church. He mentions those who in every place call upon the name of Jesus. You're the same as them. We have a common faith. It's the faith once and for all delivered unto the saints by the apostles. And that's what Paul is going to take and apply to their problems. Next, he gives thanksgiving. Again, uh, another standard feature of introductions to letters of that day. But his thanksgiving is for two things. The grace of God given to them and the faithfulness of God toward them. In verses 4 through 8, he mentions a couple of things that are gifts from God. It's the grace of God which was given to them. And it's very interesting, I think, here to see how Paul begins to lay the groundwork for what he's going to discuss later. He says he's thankful to God for their being enriched in speech and knowledge. Now, speech and knowledge, as we've mentioned before, was exceedingly important to them. They put great stock in, in very experienced and great orators who could use rhetoric to accomplish their intended purpose. This was not the rhetoric of, say, Aristotle, which was designed to set forth the truth and persuade people to the truth. The purpose of the, of the rhetoric that they enjoyed, that they appreciated and they exalted, was a triumphal rhetoric. It was a rhetoric that was designed to win. So truth is secondary. Winning is primary. And that's what the Corinthians held up. But yet Paul thanks God for enriching them in speech and knowledge. Do you see how he's setting the stage for castigating them about that later on? Nothing wrong with good rhetoric. Nothing wrong with good speech and wisdom and knowledge. But they were misusing it. In verse 7, he commends them and thanks God for the fact they are not lacking in gifts. Now, we know that gifts, spiritual gifts, were a problem in Corinth, and they were misusing them. And so Paul here thanks God that they have those gifts and that they are not lacking in them. Later on, he's going to address the proper place 
for those gifts. And then within the mix there, he confirms them in their testimony. So we have to think at the very beginning here that even though they had problems, they were genuine believers because God has confirmed them. They were sinners. They had a unique position that they thought was better than everybody else that they brought over into the church with them. But they were believers, and God confirmed them in their testimony. Now, even though the old man came along with them when they were saved, as it does for all of us, uh, that old man is very much in evidence in, in their practices in the church at Corinth. But still, the dramatic change in their lives and testimony from being pagans and to being believers in the Lord Jesus Christ must still have been a major testimony to those who were still outside the faith. And then he also thanks God for sustaining them until the end. And the other category of thanks is faithfulness of God toward them and bringing them into salvation. Middle part of the first chapter. Paul appeals to their divisions. The Corinthians were dividing into parties. There was a Paul party, an Apollos party, a Christ party, where each one tried to gain the advantage over the others. Uh, we're better than you because uh, we're in the Paul party and he's the founder of the church. But we're in the Apollos party, and we're better than you because Apollos is a much better uh, speaker than Paul is. And they began to divide according to who baptized whom. Baptism became a source of division. And Paul mentions this to them, and he, he uh, writes to them because of the reports that he's received about this. The reports were from Chloe's people. Now, we don't know who Chloe was, but she must have been very important because she had people. You don't have people unless you're important. So it wasn't Chloe who told him. It was Chloe's people who told Paul. And also, he writes because of his commission by Christ. He is an apostle, not by his own making. He is an apostle because Christ appointed him one. He called him one. He could do no other than write to the Corinthians and correct their problems. He puts it this way in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I've underlined there, preach the gospel. And I've circled the power of the cross of Christ. We're beginning to see that amazing, wonderful, soul-stirring theology come forth from Paul in addressing the problems of the Corinthians. The solution to their problem was the preaching of the cross of Christ. It was the setting forth of the gospel. Uh, it was the preaching of those things that, that solved their problems. It's the preaching of those things that solves the problems today as well. So great similarities between first century and twenty first century 
churches. And then finally, Paul makes a special treatment of speech, wisdom, knowledge, and folly. Those things that we've talked about that were exceedingly important to them and probably one of the reasons why they preferred Apollos over Paul. Paul was not an especially good speaker. He's told us that in several places. But Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 20 and 21, here's what he thinks about rhetoric and speech and debate and the wisdom that that is based upon. Where is the one who is wise, he says? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I think the King James there says it's through preaching. It's not the act of preaching that's in view, though. It's the content of the preaching. It's the folly of what we preach. And what we preach, he defines for us in chapter 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. That's the solution for problems today as well as problems then. First Corinthians gives us great insight into that first century church, yes, but also into today's church and into today's culture and the interaction between those two things. Just as the trees on the shore of this beautiful lake are reflected in the waters, so Corinth reflects our culture back to us, and we learn from it when we study it. Here's a summary statement. First century Corinthian aberrations are a mirror before the 21st century church. The solution for both, that is the problems of the first and the problems of the 21st century, the solution for both is Christ, the wisdom and power of God. Let me close with this from 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That will be the subject of our study this coming year in the fellowship community. I invite you to join us, visit with us, and see if our community suits your needs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to present this introduction of 1 Corinthians. I pray that you would take these few verses that we have looked at and that you would apply them to our hearts, that you would seal them there, that you would convict us 
of the truth of those verses that we have looked at briefly. I pray, Father, for all of our five adult Sunday school communities, that each one of them, you would bring into them the mix of people, members of our church and visitors, who are the exact mix that needs to be in that community for us to be able to fulfill our intended purpose in setting up these communities. And that is that we might love each other, that we might encourage each other, that we might edify each other. And we do it all based upon our study of your word and we look for your glory in all that we do. Would you accomplish that for us this year? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.